if you smartly buy in investment property and it goes up, then you multiply the ability to get a return off that deposit that you put in. Welcome to Smart Selling Steps with Cadinia Property, where you'll get the insider insights on the best way to get your property sold in the current real estate market. Welcome everybody to Smart Selling Steps with Cadinia Property, where you'll get the insider insights on the best way to get your property sold in the current real estate market. I'm Nathan George, and welcome back to the podcast about real estate the way it should be right here in Geelong. I'm joined by Sarah and Jackson from Cadinia Property. Welcome. Thanks, Hi, Nathan. So today uh, we're going to talk about uh, the current property market, but specifically for property investors. Uh, so first of all, I might start with you, Jackson. Let's start with the basics um, for an investor. What is the breakdown of owner-occupiers versus investment properties in Geelong? Okay, so it's roughly, the short answer, roughly 37%. There's 37% properties are investment properties in Greater Geelong, broken up into suburbs. We've got Newtown working at around 38%, Grovedale 35% and Norlane is 35%. So Quite even. Yeah, it is. Yeah, It's not what I thought. When we were doing that research, I actually thought that there might be a greater number of investment properties in the northern suburbs mm. of Geelong or yeah. some of the sort of lower... Lower socio yeah, areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, that was interesting that they're fairly much... The, the same. The same, yeah. Hmm. Okay, obviously the, the yields would yeah, vary so that's, very differently. Yeah, though. that's different and that, that's um, a little bit to do with the, the land value in certain areas. Mm. So the higher dollar per square metre, then generally speaking, the lower the yield rate. So the yield rate is the rent added up over a 12-month period and then divided by the value of the home. So... Um, in Newtown, if you have a million-dollar property, it's a 2.1% gross yield rate, um, and this comes from CoreLogic. Um, so it's so an that average. That's the average. It's an average. That's on yep. average, yeah. Yep. But if, if you've got a million-dollar property, um, you get $21,000 per year is your rent that comes in for that property, and mm-hmm. that gives you a 2.1% yield rate. So in Newtown, that's quite low because... The land uh, value is yep, higher. land value is higher. Grovedale, you've got a 3.7% yield rate. Right. And Norlane is 4.1% yield rate. So if Norlane has such a significantly higher yield, yes. why are investors buying property in Newtown? So that's an interesting question. My view has always been that if you were given a large chunk of money and in, for property investment, uh, say $10 million, for example, and you go back 10 years ago and you put $10 million into real estate in Norlane or Newtown, over that same time, if you fast forward 10 years, at the end of that period, my view is you'd have more money out of the Norlane properties than the Newtown ones because the capital growth rate is fairly comparable. So that means the year-on-year values of the house go up about the same, same percentage, percentage rate, yeah. which a lot of people think the better areas increase at a higher percentage. It's often even. Um, uh, and so, yeah, but you do get a higher yield rate mm. or more rent per uh, dollar spent from the lower suburbs. I've so then why would, 
So coming back to Nathan's question, in your opinion, Jackson, based yep. on your 30 years in the industry, why would people then buy an investment? Well, some people just perceive suburbs as being better and, and some people don't have um, yield rates. Is it, like they're not using the calculator alone to make their decision. They sometimes use emotion or they want uh, they feel like they that they want to be in a um, you know better suburb so for example we've got a house that's coming on the market shortly and it's in one of those areas and it's a, a average sort of property on a really big block um, and it's got renters in it at the moment so someone that might be wanting to get into Newtown might buy a older property um, rent it out and then down the track sort of build use it for their own use. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's why the land value typically is worth more per square metre in those um, higher areas because there's more amenities, there's um, it's a more appealing place. Whereas you don't normally see that happen, for example, in Norlane. Like someone doesn't normally knock a house down in Norlane and rebuild a new sure. one. Sure, yeah. And that, well, sometimes they do, but uh, the there is the risk of overcapitalizing in the lower priced areas you mm. can spend too much on that piece of land and, and lose value yeah and not not get it back when it comes mm. time to resell um it's just it's no different to other areas like the land values in turak are a lot more than they are in footscray mm. and geelong's the same it's got the same sort of areas that have a statistically higher dollar per square meter Although Footscray is not that cheap anymore. No, well, nowhere is really <laughs> if you can no. turn the video back 10 years. So what are the benefits of having an investment property? We've just talked about the yield. What else? So the, there's a lot of um, well, there's a lot of benefits and there's also a lot of risks too. So probably the biggest benefit that people get from having a residential investment is the ability to leverage with it. So what that means is you're essentially able to use someone else's money, the banks, um, to purchase an asset. So you might have, it, let's say, a million dollars for the sake of working it out. You borrow $900,000, you put in 100000 of your own money and then you get a capital growth plus you get a return on via rent, for example. So your so, capital growth might be like $50,000 a year, then the yield might be 21000 like you said before. So yeah. all of a sudden in 12 months' time, instead of having 100000 you've, you've got, got 170000 yes, yes, that's mm -hmm. that's in theory. So the banks um, won't lend money on a lot of other asset classes, like so shares or your own business because it's deemed as being more risky, whereas in residential real estate, they, they're comfortable to lend a higher percentage of the value of that. So that's, a, again, because you can, you, if you smartly buy in investment property and it goes up, then you multiply the ability to get a return off that deposit that you put in. Um, there's other advantages too. So if you're a high income earner, you can claim a lot of the expenses that are associated with owning an investment property against your taxable income. Uh, which further gives you a, a gain at um, tax time. Um, it, there, there is um, like it, it's not all and and it, it's not all um, skewed in favour of the investor. And the government's now started to realise that. So 
where you the, or the government's latest policies that have come out is really using property investors as their milking cow to claw back a lot of the COVID debt that was incurred and spent. Mm. Um, and we'll talk about that shortly. But um, yeah, there's the gains are over a long period. Uh, you should ride out the fluctuations in the market and theoretically have the tenant gradually pay off your loan. So at the end of your 25-year period, then you've had your your you've had capital growth plus a returning investment that will be quite substantial at the end of the time. Do you think um, in times gone by, I know negative gearing was very popular and it's a bit of a dirty word at the moment with the government. And um, do you think negative gearing is as popular as it used to be? And still, is it a good strategy or should investors be looking at positively geared property? Uh, well, unfortunately, the investors haven't really got much choice because it's negatively geared just simply means that the gap between the income and uh, what you pay out is negative. So your loan repayments might be $30,000, your rent might be $20,000 that you get coming in. So that gap of $10,000 is a loss. So negative gearing is another word for a loss. So that $10,000 then gets applied to your, or negative $10,000 gets applied to your taxable income. If you're earning $150,000, then you've got $10,000 of negative gearing Essentially, at tax time, your income comes down to one hundred and forty thousand dollars, and that you get a refund Reduces from that tax. Yes, I think yes. some people think that negative gearing is some kind of free money that you're getting a bonus, but it's not a bonus. You're still paying the loss. No, you just reduce. That's like that when loss. people say, like, as a business owner, and you would hear this, I imagine you can claim that. Oh, just put it on the business. You can claim it. Still it still has to come exactly. from yeah. somewhere, doesn't it? Mm. And they say that. Um, one of the best ways to sell something to a male is to tell them it's a tax deduction and one of the which is this negative gearing and a lot of the guys think they're, you know, saving money um, but when it, it's a cost but the, and the, the vice versa to on the other side you can also use the fact that it's on sale or a bargain um, which often would work with you I imagine, mm, Sarah, Well, there's a good tip for shopping. any other... Um Maybe females out there that are trying to justify something to their um, spouse. Mm. What about the, um, the state revenue office and their new uh, land tax assessments? Well, this is, and again, as I mentioned, the investors being used as milking cows, um, which they seen, they're seen as an easy target um, to claw back some of this money that's been spent. So, um, the problem is, and I have, I've been in real estate for a long time and I've rarely seen a government policy change have as a direct impact into um, the market as what some of these policy changes have had. Already in the past two or three years, real estate investors have been f uh, forced to wear uh, extra compliance costs when it comes to um, re-renting and, um, and changing tenants over, as Sarah's quite well aware of. Um, and that having that plus given the capital growth that's happened, the land tax that a lot of investors are paying now is substantially more. So what they're getting, they're getting a double hit just from the land tax point of view because the values are now substantially higher than five years ago. 
So and the uh, threshold for land tax. Yes. Well, it's it, as of the twenty as of January twenty twenty four. It's it's going to be fifty thousand. It's currently three hundred. So any any property basically. Yes. 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 Is so, going to be taxable. Yes. So if you had an investment property worth three hundred thousand, you would pay land tax on none of that previously. Now you pay land tax on two hundred fifty thousand. But then also, if that if you've had that for five years and the value of that's gone up thirty percent, that property is now worth six or seven hundred thousand. So you're paying extra land tax on that. So a lot of property investors that might only have a single or, or maybe two homes are going to be introduced to land tax. Yeah, Huge. and also something that's going to change when I was researching this was um, holiday homes have sometimes been exempt from the land tax, whereas in this new policy change all holiday homes or second mm. residences are going to whack, um, have a land tax. So there goes the uh, well. Airbnb prices are going to go even higher again to cover that, I guess. <laughs> Well, it, yeah. it, and this is where it comes all the way down the line. Now, one of the biggest um, issues in our society at the moment is low-cost housing. So traditionally, property investors have been the major suppliers of low-cost housing, not in a, along with government-provided housing because mm-hmm. there's a lot of investors who are encouraged to buy property and rent them out. So we've had about five to ten properties that have been put on the market purely investors, like they're um, kind of, you know, retired or retiring property investors with a view to selling their investment portfolio gradually because of these new changes, both the compliance and also the land tax. So what that then does, and this is why I'm talking about the policy decisions down the line, um, it's a real balancing act because this one instance in particular, we've got a tenant who's living in there, has been in the property for six years. The landlord, because they're a good person and they've looked after their tenant, they haven't increased the rent for that time. So they're paying $250 a week in rent. This person has, you know, isn't able to pay what the market rent would be, which in the last couple of years has jumped to $350 per week. This landlord has to sell now because they have a whopping big land tax bill and this poor tenant gets tipped out back into the market uh, and hasn't, isn't able to afford to pay market rent. So these people have to go somewhere and unfortunately the rental competition now is such that um, it's very difficult. You've At got, that lower end of the market, isn't yeah, it? And yeah, you've got, and again, you've got all this immigration due to come in. You've got, I don't know how many hundred thousand people, new immigrants coming in who are going to soak up More some of that lower cost housing. Mm. So the government, it, what's happening, whether they it's foreseen or not, but the actual on the ground what's happening is that it's going to be really damaging for that low-cost housing and it'll be uh, putting people in a lot of positions who are among the most vulnerable in our community because of the um, grab from, uh, you know, the property investors. Mm, So they'll have to fund further social housing projects, which, again, comes at a massive cost to the taxpayer. Mm, Some big big challenges ahead. Yeah, it's a real balancing act. But I I think that, well, again, I'm not going to, bag out one side of a government or not, but certainly yeah. the impacts of what's going on now 
I'm seeing a dramatic effect. So what do you think the, the effect of the interest rate rises have had on the investment properties in the Geelong market? Well, whether or not it's the interest rate rises or not, but what we've seen in the stock that we're selling at the moment, we've had um, a number of landlords sort of put their investment properties on the market for different reasons. Um, we've got some that are selling their investment property in order to upgrade their primary residence. Mm-hmm. So they they may be able to afford now something that they couldn't afford in the past. So they're thinking in a downward market, the prices are down, I'm going to get some extra money from my investment property, sell my current house and then buy a bigger one. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen some investors with the change of working circumstances sort of coming back in and people having to get back into the office and um, the flexible arrangements not being so flexible, cashing in their investment properties, which means that they don't have to work full time anymore to give them a little bit of extra money that way so they can have the flexibility in a different sort of way. Um, and are you, are you seeing anybody that's hurting financially? Are you seeing people that are desperate to we, sell? Cause we some haven't had those distressed sellers as yet. We've had discretional sellers decide that enough's enough and put their investment properties on the market. There hasn't been that element of people who can't afford to pay and are forced to sell. Because we talked in a last in a previous podcast, we talked about that second cliff that's coming. I still think Mm. that is in play. Yeah, Yeah. I reckon there might be a few people coming through that may not it's like it's actually if that was you and you were in that circumstance mm. that's really hard and right. that's really emotional and it's probably something you might be a little bit embarrassed about mm. sharing like well, you, I, you might have bought a property that was cash positive 18 months ago and spent mm. anything but cash positive now yeah so it may be that i mean i'd like to think that we have really great relationships with our vendors and um we sort of collect and we do aim to collect all the information so we can help them and put their you know best interests at the forefront all the time but it might be that you know maybe they're just not putting their hand up and saying you know what I can't afford to pay my mortgage and I can't keep my business running and pay my staff so I'm gonna sell my investment property because that's a pretty big statement to have to make mathematically it has to happen um Mm. so yeah it uh, it's interesting we'll just see how things play out um how many investors are you seeing uh backing up the truck to load up in this downward market, are you seeing many that are going no. harder that are purchasing. at it? Yeah, not many that no. are adding to the portfolio. No, no there's not. There, there's not. We're seeing like one we sold on the weekend had a huge. It was in that sort of lower quarter of the market, um, and we had a huge response from mostly first home buyers and a lot of people who were, um, you know, like immigrants or. Um, people who are new to Australia um, looking to buy their first home. So I think they're the main group of buyers within Geelong at the moment who are competing with that typical investor market. So if you're in that position where you're thinking about selling um, for whatever reason, but we just, you know, any of those reasons we just discussed, what's what's the best way to go about it? What are the best timings? So this is an interesting one. So I've always been a big fan of zigging when other people zag okay so when we've got a situation now high interest rates people selling because they're getting touched up by the increasing taxes um, that's providing a lot of uncertainty within the market and um, 
So zigging when everyone else zags, I would have thought that if you're in the market for an investment property, the next little bit could be a really great time to start shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're selling your investment property, there's still buyers out there. Um, it's not like what it was two years ago when there's 15 people fighting over the same property, um, but there are still buyers out there. So I think you, w- when it comes to selling an investment property, you have to make sure that you've covered off some of the traps that there are. And the biggest one of those is capital gains tax. So if you've had your property for 10 years and you bought it for $100,000 and it's now worth uh, $500,000, there's a $400,000 gain there that you've made. Now, the capital gains tax, um, the process of what what that means is that means $200,000 of the $400,000 you've made is applied to your taxable income. So that if that's an immediate injection of $200,000 to your wage, so on top of your wage. So you have to account for that when you're selling. So especially I imagine the, if you're jumping up tax brackets yeah, and you've got Correct. So yeah. that might amount to if if you're in the nearing the top tax bracket and then you make that much money more, then it might amount to being a half of it will be will go in tax so roughly a hundred thousand dollars in tax correct yeah so if you're going to be selling an investment property make sure you talk to your accountant and factor some of those costs in okay um what do investors need to consider when putting their investment investment property on the market what things about the actual property so i'll speak to one that we've sort of been working on recently in that um their owners live in melbourne they've got an investment property down here in Geelong. They haven't actually been to the property. They saw it once when they bought it like six years ago, but they haven't been to it. We've recently taken over the property management of it and it has been fairly undermanaged, one would say, in in relation to the maintenance of the property. Okay, looking a bit tired. Yeah. So what what we suggested to them was to get a building inspection done on the property before going to market. And come and have a look yourself. Like don't Uh, rely on other people. It's a massive chunk of money to be have have out there. You want to get out of your armchair and into the property so you Mm. can have a look at it and maybe meet the tenants because you have to remember that it's a you have to treat your tenants. Well, it's their home, isn't it? It might be their property, but it's the tenant's actual home. So throughout that process, and I think we've spoken about this briefly in one of our other podcasts, is that building that really um, positive relationship with the tenant and going to tell them in person. Like if I was an investor, I would be requesting that my property manager visited the tenant in person, although that's above and beyond the property management job. That's what we do and it's a just a nice, polite, soft way as opposed to getting an email going, uh, you know, yeah, well, the property is coming up for sale. Yeah, like that's yeah. awful. Mm. Um, so getting a building inspection which will just can just highlight some different areas of maintenance that you might want to consider. Um, it, you don't have to do them all but at least you're going in with your eyes open and you know that, you know, buyers are looking through the property, they're going to say, that the spouting, you know, is all rusted out and what have you. So that could be something that you might look to fix beforehand or you just adjust the price accordingly mm. because you're well informed about that. 
and just understanding that that, that being uh, like it's easy as an investor to just look at the numbers. You have to look past it when you're playing with someone's life like that. So um, yeah, and and to do a lot of things to help the tenant who mm. goes through that. Um, so last week we had a property that sold in a week, which was great for the tenant's point of view because it meant less interruptions. But we didn't know that was going to happen when it first went on the market. So the first inspection was actually on a Thursday night at five o'clock. So the tenants, a young family, mm. two kids, dinner time, worst time of the day. Yeah, but it's the time where we get the most buyers there. So we have to make sure we're working on the vendors, you know, in, with their best interest. So what I did is I suggested to the landlord that they um, shouted the tenants' dinner that night. So they gave them a hundred dollar voucher to take the kids and the family out for dinner. Nice. So, uh, you small know, thing it's to just do. Yeah, it is. Like, Certainly. Yeah. Well, what it does, it decreases the risk. And it, we talk about this in our negotiation aspect of what we do. So, negotiating with the tenant uh, around managing through the sale process, decreasing the risk means looking after the tenant. Because there's a huge risk if you don't look after the tenant in they through can this make process. It really hard. They can. It's, yeah. it, it can be really, um, and the, which is rightly so because they mean. have to be given quiet enjoyment of the property. Mm. But that can make it very difficult to sell property when there's someone there who's been obstructional. Um, and on it every can level. mean dollars as well yeah. for the vendor because if they're not, you know, this particular well, house last week, it was important. presented immaculately. Mm. But and yeah, the vi- like vice not- versa can have the opposite effect. So you're better off having that relationship with the tenant and being able to sell obviously whilst it's tenanted. Some people might have the luxury of letting it lapse and, yes. and have an empty property. Yes. Um, There's pros and cons depends, for both. And probably depends yeah. on the tenant, the property. And it depends on the buyer. Like some the buyer in this particular one last week, they um, were already renting a property. They're ready to buy. Their lease doesn't run out till early next year. This lease, lease runs out late this year. So what's able to happen is that the current tenants who are on a 12-month lease are able to stay to the end of their 12-month lease, which they're entitled to do anyway, but they just get – it just works out nicely yeah. for everyone. There's but it's, no it's not right or wrong, black or white, one answer better here than is yeah, better it's, than the other. Yeah, there's lots of no. different pieces yeah. of the and, puzzle. But what I'm, I'm hearing is that, that the better the relationship between the agent, the landlord and the tenant, yeah. the better the circumstances And then also that's a, it's an interesting thing it, because – an agent and a property manager will have a different relationship with a tenant. Mm. So an agent, their goal is to get the property sold yep. for the landlord. Sales agent. All right. Yep. So a sales agent often can have a different personality as well mm-hmm. to a, pers- a property manager. So a sales agent can sometimes come in and, you know, and they don't know all the backstory. Whereas so my tip is, you know, make sure the sales agent and the property manager are actually on good communication terms hmm. and that they're both across everything that's happening with yeah. the people and, and the property. So coming back to it, when you're talking with tenants through this process, it does come back to what we train in our whole office in negotiation, which is based around the quadrant strategy, which is using detachment, knowledge, relationship and risk. So. The, the detachment aspect enables us to have conversations with both the landlord and the tenant without being terribly attached to the outcome 
that can shake things in a way that's mutually beneficial. Um, and the more and the more knowledge the bet that we have about each party's situation, the better our relationship with them, and then the less the risk for e either the tenant or the landlord. Because the aim, whilst we're being uh, paid by the landlord or the house seller um, to do our job as their agent to represent them, uh, we still our aim is to well to get the best result. We have to work very closely with the buyer and the tenants. So that's where that all gloves in that integrated strategy of uh, helping people. Well, Jackson and Sarah, that was a pretty packed episode. Lots of good information in there and lots of good advice uh, for property investors. Um, thanks again for your time. You're welcome. If anyone wants any more information, um, Jackson is the, <laughs> the one to chat to. So we can, yeah, we, you can contact him at the office. And uh, caninaproperty.com.au. Exactly. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, team. Thanks.